right, if you want to open up to Acts chapter 3. Last week, uh, we started telling this story in Acts chapter 3 about uh, a crippled man who was healed by Peter at the gates of the temple. And it was this miraculous act from Peter, something that we have seen Jesus do in the Gospels, now Peter does. Um, after the resurrection, after Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, Peter still does this act that heals a man who has been crippled since birth. Um, just this uh, incredible story that, that the author of Acts, Luke tells, puts it in there um, to remind us of some of the early actions of the church. And we're going through this series on the book of Acts, and I want to just continue to read through it. And so maybe you have your prayer journal. If not, you can follow along with me. But this is right after the healing, and there's a couple of responses that I want to look at. But let's just read through this story. It's about um, 15 verses or so, starting in Acts 3, verse 11. It says, while he, the crippled man who is now healed, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them to the portico called Solomon's. So it's Solomon's porch. This is outside the temple. It's this uh, big structure that has a roof held up by pillars and no walls, kind of this open area, like a ramada type thing. Uh, verse 12, when Peter saw it, that all these people had gathered, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the Holy Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, Jesus, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel to those who came after him, also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You just heard certain a sermon by Peter. It's his second sermon, a whole sermon, much shorter than what my sermon will be. Um, that's Peter's response to this healing. Like they, they all gather at this place called Solomon's Porch just outside the temple. And uh, a couple of responses. One, you see the man who's healed is like clinging to um, Peter and John. I don't know if he's like, are you guys really my buddy? You know, if it's like that kind of clinging or if he's like, I'm walking for the first time in my life, and he, he doesn't want to leave their presence. 
And so they heal this man. They go into like the prayer meeting. They come out. He's there. He's with them. And then the crowd's response, they all know who this guy is because he's been there and he's been begging for his whole life. And now he's walking around. They're like, something miraculous has happened. We have to figure out what happened. They're filled with awe. They're, it says they're utterly astounded. They're in amazement. They know that God has done something, even though they don't understand it. It's mysterious. And so they all run and they gather in this place. And then there's Peter's response. He looks around and he's like, well, all these people gathered. Might as well give a sermon. Right? And he preaches. And in so much of his sermon, he's quoting the Old Testament. Like all of those lines are like, what, what, what does that mean? That language is strange. It's all Old Testament that he's preaching. But I think what's amazing is Peter's response to this act where he heals this man. The first thing he does is he gives glory to God. Like he says, you've seen this thing happen, this man's been healed. And he says, it was, don't look at me. It wasn't me, it wasn't my power, it wasn't my piety. It was because of what Jesus has done. Like he, he completely deflects the credit for this miraculous thing and says, this is because what Jesus did. And I think that is amazing for Peter. Because if you know Peter and the Peter of the Gospels, this is a alpha male, huge ego, loves the spotlight, like gets in trouble a lot of times because he's so ambitious. And here you have this Peter who's transformed by this experience of the resurrected Jesus after he screwed up. And his posture towards God is so different. There's a humility here. In fact, Peter doesn't take credit, but he uses this accomplishment to point people to Jesus. Like, he, he uses this moment to say, there's something else at work here, and it's bigger than me, and it isn't about me. And I know if I'm Peter, I'm like, sign me up for the book deal, right? Like, if I did something like that and healed and you guys all saw it, I would be like, you put me on Oprah. Like, this is, look what God's doing through me. Like, this is amazing. Like, follow me on Instagram for more healings. You know, like, he doesn't do that. He, he completely says, this is about something else. Jesus has done this. There's this sense of humility here where he brings God the glory through this action through this healing. And it's now, it's like the stuff that Jesus is doing is now being done by the church. Acts is full of a couple of just wild stories that you read it and you're like, wait, what just happened? And, and like, we'll get to a couple of those, but there's one story that seems to contrast this one, where if, if, if Peter does this amazing thing, this great accomplishment, and everyone's looking at him and he says, all the credit goes to God, there's almost like the opposite thing that happens later on in Acts chapter 12. And it's another leader, and if Peter is this leader of this early church, this leader is a political leader named Herod. And, and his posture towards God is completely different than Peter's. And there's this story that takes place in Acts chapter 12, and Herod, um, he's the son of Herod the Great. And we know that this guy is like a, he's, he's a terrible person. Like, he's just, he's a bad dude. And, and uh, there's this uh, story that takes place with him, and, and verse, starts in verse 19 of Acts chapter 12. It says, then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. And he had been quarreling, quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and now joined together and sought an, they joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing support of Blastus, that's a great name, 
a trusted personnel servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne, and he delivered a public address to the people. And it must have been incredibly compelling because, or, or they're just trying to like, you know, kiss up to him. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. <laughs> like, wait, what just happened? Like, but there's, so like you have Herod, who's this other leader, and we, we know this is this guy that is completely full of himself, and this, this thing's going on, and, and instead of deflecting credit, and this guy should have known better, like he, he was a religious person, he should have known better, he doesn't give praise to God, and he gets eaten up by his success from the inside out. Like something happens there. Now that's like an extreme case, right? Like I don't, I mean, sometimes there's stories like that in Acts, and you're like, what in the world is going on? That's one of those stories. But, but here's what I find. Like, me, especially when I was younger, I used to, like, need the credit for things. Like, I had to be seen. Like, I, I had to, like, I wanted to be a part of something that was successful, and then I wanted people to know that I was a part of something that was successful. Like, that, and it was almost like God, especially early on, Marcy can attest to this, like put me through these, and it's still putting me through these humbling situations. It's, it's like God knew that I, I could probably like follow him through the disappointments of life, but success would just eat me up. Like I, I wouldn't be able to handle that. Especially like in, in my, like as a pastor in the church world, like that, that could get to your head real quick. And it was like God had taken me through this journey, through this wilderness, into this wasteland, called Texas <laughs> for a couple of years um, and continues to take me through a journey of, of, of experiences where I, I, it's almost like what, what I'm realizing is I become aware of my own limitations and there's a lot of them. And I realize if there is anything that I will do with my life that is significant or meaningful or has staying power, it's not because of my power or piety, but because of who God is and what he's doing in me. Like there's this understanding, like whatever it is, whether you're healing someone or leading a church or building a company or, or rising through a corporation, it's not necessarily about what we're doing, it's about what God's doing in us and not what we're doing, but who we're becoming in the process. And what you find here is a Peter who has been transformed. It's no longer about him. He doesn't need the credit. He says, this is all about God. And there's this dependency on God, and there's this power that comes from that to do things. William Barclay, commentating on this passage, says, so long as Christians think only of what he can do and be, there'll be nothing but failure, frustration, fear. But when a Christian thinks of not I, but Christ in me, there would be nothing but peace and power. We do all of our work and we approach all of life with a sense of God working through us, not our own ability. And I have found that great, great leaders, I mean, leaders that I 
am inspired by, not just leaders, just people who inspire me, tend to give credit to God for accomplishments. It's not like, look how great I am. That kind of thing just eats you up on the inside. But they deflect credit to God. And they also take responsibility and own their own failures. And like when you read this from Peter, this tone, like it's a deflection of, hey, this is, God did this. But then this reminder of our own, like he, he like calls out these people for, for something. And like when you, when you think about the context of this, like he gets out onto Solomon's porch at this temple and months before that, this is the same crowd that helped crucify Jesus. And he points that out. He's like, that, that guy that you all wanted out of here, like you're, you're here now, you've seen this cripple rise and walk, and it's because of that man that you crucified. And there's something that would have been convicting for that crowd. Like, oh, this, this is real. Like there's evidence here that he is who he was talking about. And I find that convicting. As you, you read through that, you realize, I mean, if you know the Christian story, it's not just this group of people in this time that does this to Jesus. The Christian story that, is that, that all of us are broken, fallen sinners. And the cross is sufficient for us. But, but the, the cross draws us into this story of our own brokenness. And the people listening to Peter's sermon here have a decision if they're going to own that or not. Like, yeah, we were a part of this. And so the, the, I, I, I've just found giving credit to God for accomplishments and then having this sense of responsibility for my own failures, being able to own that. Then there's the response to Peter's sermon. And I think understanding the context of this, what, what is so amazing about Peter's sermon is that it does sound a little bit like Old Testament and like convicting language. But if I'm Peter, and I'm showing up in this place with these people who might have been involved with the crucifixion of Jesus, like, I'm like, I want vengeance. I want revenge. Right? Like I, or I'm like Jonah, like, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm out of here. These people don't, they don't deserve grace because of what they did. And you want to know something about the character of Jesus? is he has Peter go to the place months after he's been crucified to the people who are a part of that, and he says, I want relationship with those people. Like, my grace is sufficient for that. I still long to be with them. This is the, this radical grace of God, that the, the people that, that take him to the cross, he shows up and, and through Peter says, tell them about my love. Tell them about who I am. Tell them about how to make things right. This is a story of God's grace generously poured out on these people. And that grace is offered to us as well. And then there's three responses to the sermon, and they kind of like build on each other with like a progression here. And each response has a Greek word that's really fun to say. Um, but the first, is, is, the first response is this uh, repentance. Peter says, repent therefore and turn back and your sins may be blotted out. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Like, repent's this word, we, if you grew up in the church, you hear it. I remember thinking, like, we were in men's Bible study, and there's a, an Old Testament professor that comes to our Bible study named Michael Moore. Some of you know him. He, like, knows every Greek and Hebrew word, and so he starts talking about this word, and he was like, repent, it, it, it's this, 
It's this Greek word that is uh, meta-oneo. Meta I'm like, meta-oneo, like meta and then oneo. And it, it literally means, uh, the literal translation of it is to think differently, to change your mind. And in, in my thought, like, repent means like you're going 180 in one direction, they turn around, you go 180 in the other direction. And he's like, yep, yeah. like, this is a word that Luke uses, the author of Acts, and it's one of his favorite words. In the Gospel of Luke, he uses this word nine times, and in the book of Acts, he uses it five times. But it's this idea that you, you have this, like, this change of mind of what you believed or thought, and then you receive new information, and then you're able to process that information and change your mind based on new evidence. And that's not easy to do. And here in this scene, where this man who was crippled is now walking, gives them evidence of God alive and working through Peter. And Peter says, change your mind about what you thought about Jesus. Like, does this reveal that Jesus is who he said he was? And what we find, like we'll find next week, is this, this, this healing goes to the Sanhedrin, the high court, because they're trying to figure out, like, what happened. In the, high, in the high court, the Sanhedrin, they can't deny that this man's been healed, but they try to, like, cover it up. But they're not trying to deny the miracle. That's evidence that God has done something here. And Peter's saying, change your mind about who Jesus is. Change your mind, and then there will be this blotting out of your sin. Blotting out of your sin is this um, picture that we get. Like in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, like they would write things down on papyrus, um, and from my understanding is when they would write down on papyrus, papyrus the, the ink didn't have acid in it, so it wouldn't like stain into the papyrus. It would sit on top of the, the papyrus and, and dry. But before they add acid into the ink, it's just on the papyrus, and what you could do is if someone wrote something, you could fill out a whole page and then go back and like blot it out with like a wash rag and just wipe it clean. And what Peter uses this language when he talks about when we come to this decision where we change our minds about who Jesus is, we have this relationship with him and, and all of the things that we've done. And for this crowd who had, had taken Jesus to the cross, it's like there's this blotting out of that. There's this clean slate. That means it deals with our past, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're caught up in. It's like Jesus wipes that clean. So there's this repentance that we're called to. Second word, so we go from repentance to this idea of refreshing. It says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of of the Lord. Another fun uh, Greek word uh, here for refresh, it's anaspuxis. Anaspuxis literally means to recover one's breath or to catch one's breath. Figuratively, it means revival, to be revived. And so Peter's saying, you, you come to this moment of repentance where your past is taken care of, this is blotting out the sin, but then there's something here for the present moment. And it's like this, it's like catching your breath in life. This, this fresh new breath that comes into you, and it deals with how we live in this present moment, life with Christ. 
like Peter doing this action, is, it's like gr- the grace of, and life of Jesus, of resurrected life, it's abounding out of him to other people. It's flowing out of him. We, we're, we're invited into this to live life to the fullest in Christ. It's this vibrant life in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. And it's this refreshing life that we live. It's, we have this oppressive heat outside. We'll walk out of the doors here and it'll hit us and you'll feel it and it feels heavy. But you know like if we get up to Flagstaff or the White Mountains after a two-hour, three-hour car drive and you get out and you, you open the car, what does that air feel like? It feels light and fresh and cool, refreshing. Don't we all wish we could just go up there right now? But this, this is what, it's like you, for, for someone who has come to this place of repentance, there's this place of refreshment, this life in Christ, and it's like catching our breath, breathing new life into us. This is the abiding life that is talked about throughout Scripture. And then the last, the last response here talks about restoration, to be restored. It says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So if those first two things have to do with our past and our present, this is something about the future, this this restoration that we're looking forward to. This, this place that, that we're going where all of this is made new. This restoration, um, the word um, apoctostasis is the Greek word. Apoct- it sounds like apocalyptic, apoctostasis. And it has to do where all of this is going. It means that our story is heading somewhere. There's a destination to it. In fact, scripture ends with this apoctostasis, this this restoration. And, and there's this, one of my favorite passages in all scripture. In Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, talks about what this is like, this future hope that we have, that all of this is heading somewhere. Here are the words in Revelation. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city and new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be with his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That apoctostasis, this idea that the the restoration, that this is all heading somewhere. We have this God who's bringing about this restoration, this, this restitution, this reconstitution of the things that have been broken. And what we see in this healing with Peter is a glimpse of that future. This man who is crippled, who's suffering, who's broken. Like, it's like we catch this glimpse of where all of this is headed in his healing. 
Um, this last week, I found out my, my grandma passed away. And yeah, it, it was expected. Like, she was 88, and we knew it was coming. Um, last couple of years have been difficult. We had, she had, her mind had started to go. And so, like, we had a moment where we all could be able to say goodbye. It's still hard, like, the last couple of years trying to see her. She was up in Washington State. Um, I had a cousin that went up this year a few weeks ago and we knew it was bad, and she said, you know, she woke up, didn't even recognize me. Um, so we, we knew, like, her mind had, had atrophied, like it, it had gone. And so there's, there's like, this, you know, we're joyful moment, too, because we know, like, now she's in this place where that's been restored, like the restoration of her mind. Like, this is where, where all this is headed, is that we have this God who's making things new. This has to do with our future. It talks about the healing of these things that are broken. And there's this hope that we journey through life with. You see this glimpse in this picture in this story of Peter healing this man. We have this hope, stories like my grandma, lived a full life, so hard at the end to see that, yet knowing she is now made new. This is the Christian hope. We have this Jesus who invites us into this life, who invites us to this time of repentance where we own our failures, and he blots it out. It deals with our past. He invites us to a refreshing life in this present moment, no matter what we're going through, it's like catching our breath. And this hope that all this is heading somewhere in the future, this restoration, this is the life that Jesus invites us to. This crowd that's sitting on Solomon's porch processes this evidence and information. They have to make a new decision on who Jesus is. Jesus who he said he was. We're faced with that same decision. Who is Jesus? The author of life, who is making all things new. But we have to make a decision. We come to this place of surrender. That decision requires humility and faith. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your love for us. We see that radical love even in this story, here on the steps of this temple, the place of this tragic crime that you invite Peter back into to reconcile with these people, inviting him to a life that is eternal and abundant and vibrant. Lord, you invite us into that life as well. Lord, the things that um, we carry that are part of our brokenness and part of our story, you blot out the things that don't need to be there. You redeem the things that are redeemable. Maybe today we just need to meet you in this place of repentance. Maybe today, Lord, we need to experience the, refresh, the refreshing presence 
that gives us an abundant life. It's like catching our breath. We ask that you would breathe into us today, Lord. Maybe we need to be reminded of the hope that we have. That this is all heading somewhere, Lord, that you are making all things new. That there's restoration. Restoration for the physical suffering. Restoration for the emotional burdens we carry. Lord, that you meet us. You transform us. Lord, I ask today that you would meet us in this place. I ask your blessing on us today. In your name we pray. Amen.